Authors Over 50, Writing in Life's Sweetest Third. Authors Over 50's weekly podcast celebrates writers and their journeys to publication. Writing after 50 is a whole story on its own, so let's skip to Life's Sweetest Third and talk with authors about their journey from pen to publish. Welcome, I'm Julia Daly, your host, and I invite you to listen to interviews with writers who've achieved their goal of publishing a book just later in life. We've seen award lists for under 30 or under 40, but I've yet to see lists for those who've achieved a significant milestone of their own, launching a new career and publishing their first book after the age of 50. We will hear about these authors' inspirations, struggles, strategies, and the smell of that first book. These writers' journeys inspire me because I'm one of them. My guest today had careers as a journalist, newspaper editor, publisher, and media executive, but he's written fiction most of his life. The newspaper biz has taken him and his family from Arizona to small towns in North Carolina, Texas, and Wisconsin, from seven years in Washington, D.C. to five years in Asia. Born and raised a small town kid, he's as comfortable in Tokyo as Tuna, Texas. He has four novels published and a collection of short stories. He's a sought-after fiction editor with editing clients from around the world. He retired from the journalism world two years ago and moved to a lake home in the Ozarks region of Missouri, where he writes and edits full time. Welcome to Authors Over 50, Rob Grindstaff. Thank you, Julia. It's wonderful to be here this morning. Rob, our opening question on Authors Over 50 is always, what took you so long to write your first book? It still feels odd to me to say I didn't have a published novel until after age 50. Um, I'd been writing since I was a kid. Uh, I knew I wanted to be a writer since I was a kid. Uh, My parents, I was an avid reader. My parents had bought me all the Mark Twain books, I think, in fourth grade. And I devoured those and Jack London's books. And and I think as a freshman in high school, an assigned book was Catcher in the Rye, which really cemented it for me. It was I wanted to write something as, that affected other people the way that book affected me. And that's one of those books people either love it or hate it. But uh, I, I loved it. Um, so I went to college to major in English so I could become a writer and made one of the few good decisions I ever made as a teenager which teenagers are not known for making good decisions, right? Uh, But I decided to add journalism as a double major. Um, And that was so I could get a day job um, and support myself until I wrote the great American novel and became rich and famous. Um, And uh, 40 years later, I retired from the newspaper and journalism world. Uh, But I never really stopped writing. Uh, It, it took a backseat. You get married, you have a career, children, a mortgage. Um, the career, as you mentioned, took us all over the world. I wouldn't trade it for anything, but writing for about 20 years became a hobby. I had a couple of short stories published here and there, um, but you know, it was always in the back of my mind. Uh, and I think I was in, I was in my mid-40s uh, when a character showed up in my head and she wouldn't shut up. 
Um, so I had to just start writing her story. Sometimes it felt like I was taking dictation um, and just started writing her story. And it grew lo longer and longer uh, and was turning into a novel. I had attempted novels before and they didn't go anywhere. I didn't know what I was doing. And I still didn't, but I was just writing this story. And so I kind of threw myself into studying uh, the art and craft of writing fiction. And I joined writer critiques groups and uh, read books about writing, attended writer conferences. And I was at a writer's conference in, in D.C. Uh, and my favorite agent that I'd researched was going to be there. And they had warned us, do not pitch an agent on an unfinished manuscript. Um, well, I was almost done with my third complete rewrite of that novel, which was Carry Me Away. Um, and I thought, well, it's close enough. I can I can pitch it. Uh, he heard my pitch. He asked to see the first page. And he made a great suggestion. He said, uh, take your second paragraph and make that your first. That's where the book needs to start. And that's stuck advice that has stuck with me ever since uh, on everything I write uh, is make sure you're starting at the right point. Um, and then he said, this looks really intriguing. Mail me the entire manuscript. And this was back before you could email manuscripts to agents. And so I went to a cabin on the Shenandoah River that weekend and finished uh, that third revise of, of the book and hand-delivered it to his office in D.C. on Monday morning. Um, and about a week later, he called me, very complimentary, loved it, but he didn't think he'd be able to sell it to a publisher at that time. There wasn't a, a big market for what I was writing, uh, which is kind of contemporary Southern literature. Um, and so I kept querying agents uh, for a couple more years, finally landed an agent. Um who a few weeks later wasn't responding. And so I emailed again and the owner of the agency contacted me to say that he had left their agency and he had left the business. And unfortunately they weren't going to be able to, they didn't have enough staff to take me on since I didn't already have a publishing contract. Uh, so I was kind of back on the street again. And in the meantime, I'd been writing a second novel. Uh, I'd been querying agents, similar response. Everybody that read the first page wanted to see the whole manuscript uh, several, you know, wrote personalized rejection letters or, or called me uh, to, which was amazing, um, but still a rejection. Um, so I started researching small publishers, uh, small presses, hybrid publishers were coming online about that time and uh, wound up with uh, my first, my second novel, Hannah's Voice, the second one I wrote, uh, getting accepted by Evolved Publishing. Uh, who then asked, well, what else do you have? And so I sent them my first novel, um, and they published both of those novels in 2013 and 2014, uh, when I was 53, 54 years old, something like that. So, so that's what took me so long. Well, that's quite a journey there. And, and you've had a career, a journalism career that most would envy living all over the world and having a wonderful career. And I've heard from a lot of journalists that, that they had to completely learn their craft to write fiction as you did, because they were used to just giving all the important data and, and not, you know, being very descriptive about it. Yeah, there's uh, it's two completely different styles of writing, but they do overlap quite a bit. 
Uh, and depending on the style of uh, writing, you know, your personal style and what genre you're writing in. Um, but when you look back at some of the journalists who became fiction writers, the, the names include Charles Dickens and Ernest Hemingway and, and you know, quite a few contemporary uh, authors of, of excellent fiction. You learn a lot in, fic in journalism that applies. Um, my journalism professor and editors over the years, and then I used it too as, as advice to uh, writers and reporters who worked for me, uh, was write tight. Don't waste any words. Um, and in newspapers, especially you know, back in the day, uh, your story might start on page one, but then it would jump to an inside page. You had to write in such a way that people wanted to finish the story, that they had to make the effort to turn the page and read the rest of it. Uh, and so it had to be compelling writing, um, no wasted words, just, you know, lead the reader through the story and keep their interest. Um, a lot of it's very different, uh, but there's a lot of advice from journalism that definitely applies. Well, how did writing that first book change your process of writing for the second one? The first book was definitely a learning experience. Um, like I said, I completely rewrote that novel three times, plus I don't know how many revisions and edits it went through. Um, so, and I was reading everything I could get my hands on about how to become a writer, how to write better fiction, the art, the craft, uh, as well as the publishing industry. And so the second novel, um, when that idea kind of came to me, it was sit down and write it. Um, it still needed to go through a lot of editing, um, but I wasn't learning as I went. Uh, I always relate it to, you know, if somebody wants to be a concert pianist, um, you've got to practice. You know, you've got to practice a lot and you've got to learn. You have to have instructors, coaches, whatever the case is, whether you're you know, you want to learn to play classical piano or play professional tennis. Uh, you know, I think one of the rules I've always heard is 10,000 hours of practice before it becomes muscle memory. And that's a lot. It is. It's, uh, you know, and for writers, I've heard the, the uh, axiom, you know, write a million words uh, before it really starts to click uh, or write four novels and throw the first three away. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you said your inspiration for the first was a woman talking to you in your head. How did you determine the plot of that book? Uh, a lot of it was just, like I said, taking dictation, listening to this character, letting her talk, uh, wrote a lot of backstory that never made it into the novel, of course, um, which was one of the things I had to learn. I didn't know that at the time. I think my first draft of that novel was 160,000 words and the final published book was about 90,000. So I, I wrote a lot um, that didn't need to be there, but that I needed to know just as the story unfolded. And I don't know, maybe I was halfway two thirds of the way through the novel um, and started and went back and started sketching out an outline and kind of had an idea of how the story was going to end uh, at that point. But it was a, very much a gradual process on that first book. It's a process of discovery. I had to learn it. That's kind of the way I write. I try to just get words on paper and then look and see what I've got and see where it's going. And then I make the outline. So I'm not yes. a plotter from the beginning, <laughs> but I finally get there. 
through about, yeah. you know, halfway in the novel. Yeah. And I've done both ways. Um, sometimes the idea will come to me as a full concept, you know, almost the plot from start to finish. But as I write, I find I have to let the writing go and let the character go where it's going to take it. Uh, and sometimes that means changing my outline. Um, and, and other times it means, okay, that's not going to work. Get back to the outline, you know, drop that scene. You just wrote, it doesn't fit. Uh, and the story really does take on a life of its own and takes us in different ways than we thought it would. So I love when that happens. Absolutely. It's, um, and there's a word for it. I can't think of right now, but when you write something, um, and you don't even realize it until later when you go back to read about, oh, that, you know, kind of an aha moment. It's yeah. uh, something was revealed about the story or the character that you didn't even intend. It just slipped in from the subconscious somehow. Well, do you have a specific writing routine? Do you write every day? Are you a morning person or a night person? Um, I Morning and night. Um, in the daytime, it, you know, there's usually other things that have to be done. Um, but I'm usually the first one up. Um, and so I have time then, uh, or later in the evening after supper, um, you know, just, I, I'm going to sit down and write for a little while. Um, now I've heard, and I'm sure you have too, that, you know, if you're a writer, it means you write every day. Um, I guess I'm not a writer then, uh, because I don't, I may be thinking about it all the time and thinking about the character or the story. Um, but I don't write every single day. Uh, I will go through stretches where I do not write. Um, and then I go through stretches where I'm obsessively writing, you know, every minute I can hours at a time. And I think there are several different schools of thought on that. I, I've heard people say that you shouldn't write every day. And some that say that you have to write every day. So they confuse mm -hmm. us <laughs> with all of the <laughs> advice that's out there. I, I think you have to find what mm -hmm. works for you as long as it's as long as you're moving forward with it. Did real people inspire any of your characters? Um, not directly. I, I think over time, uh, and this is part of maybe why it took me so long to to get back into writing. I had to have some life experience. Uh, and learn more about human nature in order to have something to write about and have something worth saying. Um, and so the characters are purely fictional. I don't base a character off a real person, but I can see sometimes that this character was, you know, kind of an amalgamation of several people I've known over the years. Um, the first novel, uh, Carry Me Away, the main character's name is Carrie. Um, and she is a, a biracial military brat, uh, living overseas. Well, when I lived overseas in Tokyo, we lived on an air force base. Uh, my daughter was going to the, um, the American school on base and we, I was a civilian, but all of everybody used to live there. Almost a majority of them were in the military. Uh, all of my daughter's classmates and friends, uh, were military brats and they were just such an intriguing group of kids, uh, some of whom had barely lived in the U United States their entire lives. They had lived all over the world, but not in the U.S., um, and, which sometimes, you know, they were going to be transferred back to the United States. They were scared. They had never lived there or didn't remember it. 
Uh, all they knew is what they heard on the news. They thought, I'm just going to get, you know, people throwing drugs at me and shooting me. Um, and and others were very excited. One girl said, I, I've never ridden on a yellow school bus in my life. And so, but it's like, they were just such a unique group. That's a subculture um, all, all its own. Yeah. And so all of those kids kind of melded into the character of Carrie. Well, I'm always interested in characters' names. How did you choose your names? Usually the main character has to introduce himself or herself to me, and the name just comes um, and usually sticks right from the beginning. Um, and for secondary characters, uh, the last, I guess, three novels I've written, um, the characters' names um, are all based on places. Uh, if the story takes place in Texas, uh, like Turning Trixie, my most recent novel is is set in East Texas, every character's name is the name of a county in Texas. Uh, every There's 254 counties in Texas, I believe it is. So um, plenty of names to choose from. Um, and so I would just go through the list of counties and go, ooh, I like that for a name for this character. Uh, and I had done that previously with Hannah's Voice, uh, which was set in North Carolina uh, and did kind of the same thing. Um, Slade, the characters, it was set in Texas, um, but there's several characters in that that are more named after after either country western singers or uh, country western song titles, uh, just to kind of blend that feel into the story. And the names fit the characters. Well, I, I love that. I like when our characters' names just come to us and speak to us, just like we, we already know them before we write them. Yeah, absolutely. What about the editing process? You are a professional editor yourself. How does this affect how you edit your own work? Because I can edit your work beautifully, but I can't edit my own work because I've seen so, it too too much. And I, when I go back over it, I don't even notice those typos. Yeah, I I self edit obsessively, um, and then the book goes to an editor at Evolve Publishing, uh, who catches so many things that I couldn't see. Um, I think you know if you've written something, you know what it's supposed to say. Uh, and so if you're reading it and there's a missing word, your brain just fills it in. Your brain sees it's there because you meant to write it. Uh, somebody else reads it and says, there's a missing word here. This sentence doesn't make sense. Uh, and then, of course, the, you know, the much deeper editing part of it is, you know, I know what this character's like uh, or why this character did that. Did I convey that clearly in the story? And an editor you know, come back to me and say, you need more information here. Uh, or, you know, you need to write this scene more fully, or this scene doesn't really need to be there, uh, or something just doesn't make sense. Uh, and there's always, you know, the character with blue eyes in chapter three has green eyes in chapter 37. And how do you remember all of those details? Uh, an editor will catch that. Whereas in my own writing, you know, I never, I might never catch it, no matter how many times I go over it. And usually every time I go over it, I fix five things and may add one more mistake. So. That's so true. And, and even after a book is published and a reader 
um, writes a review, and I'll think, why didn't she get that? Um, that is so obvious. I don't, I can't believe she <laughs> exactly. missed that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it is in our heads, I think, a lot of times, and sometimes we don't always transfer that to paper. Exactly. You don't know how it's going to affect the reader. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rob, tell us a little bit um, about the passages you've brought to share today and then read from your book so we can hear your tone and voice. Kind of the quick synopsis of the story in Turning Trixie is Trixie is a uh, 23-year-old single mother, uh, and she's the only prostitute in a small East Texas town. Um, but when she wins the lottery, uh, she knows her life's about to change. And of course, trouble starts when she decides the rest of the town needs changing too. Um, and so that's kind of the setup for it. And the it's the second scene in the novel. Um, we learn right away on, on the first page that she's won the lottery um, and bought a Corvette. And uh, in the second scene, she is on the local TV news, um, sitting at the news desk between the two anchors. Uh, there's Greg, a middle-aged man who's been the new main news anchor at this local channel for years. Uh, and on the other side of Trixie is a young woman who's a newer newscaster uh, named Liberty. Uh, and they're interviewing her about her Powerball winning. And so I'll read from there. You may be one of the youngest Powerball winners we've ever seen, Liberty said. How old are you, if you don't mind my asking? I just turned 23 a couple months back. Married? No, ma'am. 23, Greg chimed in. And you never have to work again. Where do you work? And do you plan on giving your employer your notice tomorrow or just call in Rich? Liberty chuckled. Well, Trixie said, I don't really work for no one but myself. A businesswoman, Liberty said. What kind of business? I, um, well, I, I run a small farm, family farm. It was my daddy's place, but he died when I was 13. And when I turned 18, mama moved into town with her boyfriend, Leon, and gave the home place to me. Been trying to make a go of it, but not quite there yet. Greg's turn. Trixie felt like she was being grilled by two detectives or something as she shifted back and forth between them. You going to keep farming, he asked, or take some time off? Travel the world. Maybe hire someone to run the farm for you. Trixie paused a moment. Hadn't really thought about it much. I hired a fellow a few months back to help with the farm, but I ain't sure there's anywhere I need to go. My boy starts school next month anyways. You have a son old enough for school? Liberty looked like she was trying to hide her surprise. Yes, ma'am. Tyler's almost eight and will be starting third grade. Liberty couldn't keep the surprise off her face that time, but moved in quickly with another question. What's the first thing you're going to do with all this money? I already did it. The only thing I wanted to splurge on. My old pickup was about to throw a rod, and I'd always wanted a Corvette. The car dealer's a client of mine, so he let me drive it off the lot with a note that I'd pay once the money's in the bank. Client? Greg and Liberty both asked in unison. What kind of client? Liberty asked. Trixie froze. She couldn't believe that word had rolled out of her mouth. Yeah, you know, he... Uh, buys some vegetables and an occasional side of beef from my place. She was pretty proud of that recovery, 
and the news anchor's faces looked satisfied with that answer. And it wasn't a lie. He had picked up some produce a few times and a side of beef once. Even though he visited her farmhouse once a month, it wasn't for tomatoes and cucumbers. Greg stepped in to bring the segment to a close. Well, we're about out of time, Miss Burnett, Trixie. Congratulations on your winning ticket and Powerball. An amazing stroke of luck that will change your life, Liberty said. Weren't luck, Trixie said. It was a gift from the Lord. Liberty turned in her chair away from Trixie to face the camera. Next up, Terry will give us the rundown on just how hot it's going to be for the next two weeks, and it sounds like we're in for a continued scorching. But first, a quick commercial break. We'll be right back with weather and then sports. A quick countdown, and then the spotlights turned off. Greg shook Trixie's hand but held on and leaned over close. I'd love for you to take me for a spin in that new vet some evening, he whispered. That's it. <laughs> Rob, that is a wonderful premise. That is so good. I love well, that. That's great. I can't wait to read it. Have you found any uh, methods of publicity that have worked for you or maybe even that didn't work that you can share? Um, some of all of the above and sometimes they're the same thing. Uh, something that worked five years ago no longer works. Uh, something that you hear about today that's working, but sometimes by the time you can figure it out and do it, it doesn't work anymore. You had to be, you know, the first one or in the, in the first wave. Um, I'm finding social media does not work like it used to, even just a couple, three years ago. Um, and so, you know, between my publisher and myself, you know, we try different things. We run ads, you know, Facebook ads, Amazon ads. Um, obviously, every writer needs to have a website uh, that's, you know, active and updated. Um, you know, do blogs still work? Do people still read blogs? I don't know. <laughs> I still do them. Um, and they get, you know, they get some response. Do they sell books? Um, you know, I think a lot of publicity and marketing isn't always directly uh, effective, but it all adds up together over time to, you know, to keep your name and your book titles in front of people so that, you know, somebody will discover you now and then. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I enjoy doing the most are interviews like this, podcasts, um, and in-person events, which, mm -hmm. You know, again, you're not going to sell thousands off of in-person events. I've, you know, I've done a couple of uh, author events at a local bookstore. Um, you know, sell two, sell five, sell ten. I, I'm ecstatic about it. Um, and if they buy one and they like it, maybe they'll come back and buy others. Maybe they'll leave a good review and tell their friends about it. And so it just grows over time. Um, I doubt you'll see me on TikTok, but you know, that that has sold a few million books for some people. It really has. But every time I look at it, I just see people dancing around and I don't <laughs> think that's for my age group. <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, probably not for my genre of writing. Yeah, right. What about any specific books or seminars or writing retreats or groups that you can share that improved your writing journey? Uh, and one of the things I did fairly early on was writing that first novel and um started querying agents, uh, you know, one of the agents who really loved it, uh, but didn't 
uh, offered to represent me said, have you worked with an editor? Uh, and I said, no, I haven't. And he, he suggested I do that. And he gave me a, a website where I could search, uh, you know, dozens of different editors and which I did found one that seemed like a good fit. And I may have learned more in three months working with that editor than I had learned in the previous two years. Uh, he was a uh, professor of literature at a university. He had written books. He uh, had been editing for quite a while, and he he really helped me whip that first book into shape uh, and taught me a lot that has stuck with me over the years. Um, so there's that. Conferences are always good. Um, sometimes you learn a lot. Sometimes it's just good to be around other writers. Uh, everything we do, we kind of do by ourselves. Uh, we sit at home in a room by ourselves and write. And if we get published, the book goes off and somebody sits in their room, home alone, on the other side of the country and reads it. And um, it, it, there's a disconnect there. So being around other writers and learning from their experiences and sharing, you know, the, the joys and the griefs of, of writing and publishing uh, world uh, is always helpful. And I will learn something from everybody I talk to. I was in a writer's critique group in the Washington, D.C. area, um, and every writer in the group was a different genre. You know, there was science fiction, young adult, and horror, and uh, fantasy, and romance, and all yeah. in one group. And it was amazing how much I could learn from every one of them about some aspect of writing. Uh, and they had great insights and advice for me uh, on, on my book. Well, you've become quite prolific. Are you on a certain schedule? Do you plan one book a year? How are you doing with your next books? Um, writing the next book now, I hope to finish writing it this year. Uh, I don't know if it'll be published in 2023 or 2024 or maybe never if it's not good enough. But, uh, you know, I'm, uh, it'll take me, you know, most of the year probably to write it. Uh, and revise it and edit it and rewrite it and all that goes into that. So I have some editing clients who can, you know, crank out a new book in two months. And I, I, I just don't know how they do it. And they're good writers. You know, if it's one thing if, if they sent me a book and it was awful, I'd say, yeah, it looks like you spent two months on this. But when they write a book in two months and send it to me and it's like, I'm jealous. I just, I don't write that way. Yeah. The only time I've written very quickly was when I took NaNoWriMo, uh, you know, the National Novel Writing Month. And I, I took the challenge to get 50,000 words on paper in that month. And you have to throw all of your grammar, your punctuation, everything out the window and just get words on paper so that you can come back and edit. But, but that, yeah. that really helped me to, to work on my speed. Mm-hmm. And, and I, my novel Slade, which came out last year, um, was the only time I've ever done this. I wrote the first draft of that novel in three weeks. Now, I spent another six to nine months revising and rewriting and, and everything, uh, but it just poured out. I just sat and wrote it for in three weeks. So, That's amazing. Which is not my usual routine. Well, Rob, as always, our last interview question is, our writers over 50 are quite a unique set. Do you have any advice for writers 50 and above? Um, I, I would really 
I think stress that if you're 50 or approaching that age um, and you're, you've always wanted to be a writer, uh, maybe you're like me, you always kind of wrote as a hobby or a sideline or, you know, something you always wanted to do. Um, you know, don't think I don't have time right now. I'll write when I retire. Uh, and because you probably won't have time then make the time, uh, get up an hour earlier, stay up an hour later, turn off the television and the internet, uh, and write, uh, and you know, learn about writing, as I mentioned earlier, read books about writing, uh, study writing, uh, read books in your genre, uh, read lots of them, uh, read books in other genres uh, outside what you normally write. Uh, if you're a romance writer, read some science fiction. You will learn some things you can use um, and, and connect with other writers. Um, it kind of goes back to the... Um, analogy we're talking earlier if you're going to be a concert pianist uh you've got to practice for you know maybe ten thousand hours before you really start to catch on uh, and it becomes muscle memory and you can sit down and write something worth reading um and if you wait until you have time if you wait until you retire you've lost all that time for preparation um and the the other piece of advice i'd have is that you know writing is an art uh, and a craft, but it's also a business. Uh, so be prepared for that. Uh, there's editing. If you're going to self-publish, there's editing and book covers. There's publicity and marketing and promotion. Um, there's, you know, st studying the publishing industry and how to get a, a literary agent if you want to be traditionally published. And, you know, and the odds for that are very, very slim. Um, but lightning does and can strike, right? So, um, and then... You know, I wouldn't rush the process, you know, learn all you can practice um, and but start now, I guess, you know, my advice boil down to three points. Uh, start now and learn everything you can uh, about writing and about the publishing world um, and don't rush the process of either writing or publishing. Uh, if you rush it. And um, I've seen too many times where writers have, you know, written a book, rushed it into print uh, through self-publishing. And because of, you know, mistakes and things that they were still learning, it killed their sales and it killed their future sales as well. You know, people remember, oh, I didn't like that book. I didn't like his writing. Uh, or they look at uh, all the bad reviews of the first book, so they're not going to bother buying the second book. Uh, so don't rush it. Rob, I think that is great advice. And as my fellow Mississippian said, I think you've probably heard of him, William Faulkner. If a story's in you, it has to come out. So I think now's the time to get our stories out. And we just appreciate your time today. And we're happy to say that you're now one of our authors over 50. Well, when you start the authors over 60, I can be there too with you. <laughs> so, but thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it. Thank you for joining us today. Please look for Authors Over 50 every Thursday when we will have conversations with accomplished debut novelists over the age of 50. Please subscribe and share with a friend. And check out my own publication journey after 50 at www 
www.juliadaily, that's D-A-I-L-Y, like dailynewspaper.com. Until next time, keep reading and writing. And remember, it's never too late to fulfill a dream in life's sweetest third. <laughs>